You may not have noticed a special joy that Bronwyn had in her heart this morning that was even beyond the opportunity to sing and praise the Lord, and that is she has wedding bells in her head this day. So, A couple weeks ago, a young dude from Pennsylvania called me and asked if he could marry my daughter. And uh, yesterday, officially, he engaged her. So Nathaniel and Bronwyn, congratulations on this momentous occasion in your life. And as I said to the first service, um, the Bakers are trying to beat the King family and how many marriages we can have in one year. But as usual, Kinger has me beat, and um, he's happy about that. But it's cost him a lot of money to beat me, so I'm okay with that too. In 2005, you sent me to China to observe the uh, generous investment that God enabled us to make, if you'll remember, in the house church movement, um, whereby we were able to supply and provide 400 different radio Bible kits uh, that would be um, proclamation points for the gospel in various house church settings. And I wasn't prepared for the uh, energetic... Um, attitude toward the Lord that I encountered in, in the land of China. And uh, the absolute um, spiritual hunger that was there and disciple-making production from their hearts, which was um, firmly embedded. And then, of course, in these past five years in India, I've encountered it as well in that great, great land where God is at, on the move. And, and then recently, of course, in, in the Middle East, and you will read in that email the testimony of their um, hearts to make sure that they take what is given to them and don't waste any time and um, to, to see their passion for the Lord. And, and then I, I, I was thinking as I was, was um, sort of reflecting on all of this, I was thinking about all that we have, have and have busied ourselves with here over these past years. And we've been doing a lot of things. But I was thinking and wondering about our, our spiritual productivity. I was, I was wondering what's the spiritual return that, that we have seen in, in these past number of years in our $15 million investment over these past 12 years here. In the 4,380 days that the Lord has given us in these past 12 years. And I use that 12 because that's how long I've been here as sort of a benchmark. And I wonder to myself... If we are on Jesus' mission or on our mission about Jesus, and that's the question I want to pose to you today, there's, a, there's a, a huge gap between those two things, of being on Jesus' mission as opposed to being on our mission about Jesus. And I want to talk to you today about the second of the best practices of disciple-making churches. We're, we're talking about the great things of God that he has given to us, and if you remember last week... We determined that the first best practice of a disciple-making church is, is that we would adore the God who loves us and cherish the people who we meet. And today, though, I want to talk uh, about Jesus' mission, and I want you to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, uh, and, um, and uh, we'll read from verses 18 to 20, but before we do that, let's uh, just pause for prayer. Our Father and our God... Uh, we ask now as we open up your word this morning that you would 
give us a, a fresh sense and awareness of, of the grand vision that you have given to us. Lord, I pray as we, we know that this is a familiar text probably to everyone who's here, maybe not everyone, but just about. And we have looked at it, we're aware of it, most of us have memorized it. But our Father, I'm really asking this morning that it would get into us. Not that we would just know about it, not that we would be on our mission about it, but that we would truly, truly embrace, if we haven't, Jesus' mission. So Father, I, I really ask that, uh, knowing full well this is your will for us, that you would cause your spirit to really um, uh, massage our hearts this morning, and uh, that we would be honest with ourselves, and that you would grip us with a fresh awakening. Would you grip us with a new vision, Lord? Would you, would you grant to us today something profoundly uh, deep about the things of God and who you are and who we are in relationship to you and what you have given to us? So, Father, I pray your blessing. We, we've asked, uh, we've said we want to bless your name today. And, Lord, here's what I know about you. You want to bless us. And so, our Father, I pray that you would just pour out your blessing of comprehension, of, uh, of affirmation, uh, of willingness to, to, um, to apprehend and, and take for ourselves what you have for us, Lord, I pray, with a, with a new vigor and energy, oh God, that we would be for sure a best practice church. A best practice in disciple-making church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 16 of Matthew 28, this is Jesus' mission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of God. I want to back up for a few moments, and um, most of you are familiar with that, that uh, news-arresting statement back a number of years ago, Houston, we have a problem. I want to broaden that and say, nations, we have a problem. Narrow it down, Canada, we have a problem, and here's our problem. The impossibility of citizenship in the kingdom of God. That is a gigantic problem. That is an immense problem. Are we aware that from the very beginning, God's mission has always been that people would be his disciples, that they would be attached to him, body, mind, soul, heart, spirit. That, that's always been the mission of God, total devotion, total attachment to God. 
in Genesis 1, verse 27, 28. It was the commission of God to his new human creation. Go and subdue the earth. Bring it under the, uh, the, the, the kingship of the king of the universe. I, I commission you. I assign you. That's your role. That's your purpose. That's why I've created you. Now go and do it. Adam and Eve would rather die than be disciples of God. Well, maybe that sounds a little bit harsh, but in reality, that's what happened. Or perhaps if we want to bring it back, draw it back in a little bit, maybe it was simply they thought they could be disciples of God and be self-indulgent too. And so they opted for the kingdom of man as opposed to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of man on their own mission. And you, if you are familiar with what happened there in the garden when they rebelled against God and sin in Genesis chapter 3, it isn't very long. In fact, it's right immediately following that that they engage in a lot of activity, a lot of busy activity. Genesis 3 verse 7. It says there that they engaged in, in the fashioning of some costuming as they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They busied themselves because of their guilt and because of their self-consciousness. And it almost seems to me as, as realistic as that moment was that it's a metaphor for what goes on in so many religious centers today. I wonder, as I was thinking about that all over again, as they were seeking to to somehow keep God off their back with their busyness. Because when he came looking for them, what did they say? Well, we, we knew we were, we found out we were, at, we were naked and we were, we were trying to deal with that. I, I wondered at, at the metaphor of that. It seems to me that, that so much of religious activity is, is about guilt and self-consciousness. And, and maybe, just maybe, that much of today's church activity is just simply trying to keep God off our back. Instead of really, really being on Jesus' mission. And to all of this mess, a world that has turned its back on God, enter Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, at the very beginning of, the, of this gospel. And there is a record throughout this whole gospel. Now we're at the very end of the letter. We're at the very end of, of Matthew's record of what Jesus did, and, and he starts off at the very beginning in Matthew 1. This is the record, or this is the genealogy of, uh, of, uh, of the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then we have throughout the pages of this gospel a record of his life, of his ministry, of his crucifixion, of his death, of his stunning resurrection. And when we get to the end of Matthew, that's where we've arrived. And, and, and here we see, and we need to see with new eyes, Jesus, newly resurrected from the dead, standing before his disciples in this stunning and amazing moment where now death can be dead and sins can be buried and to the disciples hearing this for the first time, we, we have heard it so many times. You've read it so many times. You've memorized it many times. You've had it preached to you many times. But this is the first time they ever heard it. 
And they were standing there in this moment, in real time, with this great awakening. Messiah has come from the grave and is alive. That's the moment. Recapture that. Visit that in your, in your own emotions and, and come with me. The hope of returning to God is now standing before them in living technicolor. Technicolor, all the perplexities that they had uh, gathered up are now coming into focus. Standing there, the son of David, the son of Abraham, not called that by any accident, they are realizing that in this moment, their God, who had made this ancient promise to them, promised to Abraham that through him through his seed all nations would be blessed and there he is the son of Abraham the son of David standing before them victorious over the grave sin buried as far as the east is from the west God had not forgotten them now there is such a small record here of the actual resurrection events. And I think that often catches us by surprise. But what we all need to know is that the resurrection by this point was not in doubt. The record of this gospel had already been uh, several uh, amount of time had gone by by the time this was recorded. They already were were fully aware of the, of the resurrection of Christ. And these disciples were there. The, the writer was there. Death is defeated. And so, um, how did we get to this moment where these disciples were standing here? Well, as Jesus was resurrected, he mentioned to the Marys that they should not be afraid in verse 10. And that they should go and tell the disciples that he was going to hold a press conference in Galilee of the Gentiles. So go and tell them. Go and tell them to meet me in Galilee. And they'll know exactly where to go. It'll be that hill. The place where we met. The place they know about. Tell them to go there. And at this press conference, he's going to present to them a staggering announcement about the next big thing. And, and it's, it's a momentous time in human history. Because no longer is the universal plan of God's salvation going to be brokered through an ethnic religious system. It was now going to be presented through an international sales force of satisfied customers who would be able to say, I once was blind, but now I see. I used to be dead, but now I'm alive. I saw him with my own eyes. My hands have touched him. My eyes have seen him. My ears have heard him. I need to tell you about this great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was no accident that Jesus decided on Galilee of the Gentiles rather than Jerusalem. Where better? than to choose the Gentile part of Israel then in that place to announce an international new vision of go and reach the world. Not a new vision. 
God had already and always placed that vision before his people. But now as Christ was risen, he's standing now before them and he's saying to his disciples, this is a new momentous occasion. And I want you to understand that now you will take the message, I used to be dead, but now I'm alive. They were once called the twelve. But now in verse 16, they are called the 11 disciples. Yes, Judas had left. But more importantly than that, disciples are now being given a commission to disciple. And so there were three stunning announcements that I want to camp on this morning uh, leading up to, uh, with, with this introduction behind us. Three stunning announcements. It says in the text, in verse 18, that Jesus came to them, or literally Jesus stepped forward, or Jesus leaned in. When God leans in, I want to lean in. I want to be all over that. I want to know what God has on his heart. And Jesus leans in here, and he says, maybe, just maybe, somehow, as you stand here, you have missed missed the matter of who I really am. Maybe you've missed out on the, the nature and the scope of who I am, because it said just before that, that it says some worshipped, but some doubted. And I've worked with this text for a number of years, and I have waffled back and forth on what to make of this, because I'm trying to understand who in their right mind would be doubting at this moment? I mean, there is the resurrected Jesus Christ standing before them. And so I've, um, I, I, as I said, I've sort of waffled back and forth in terms of interp interpretation, thinking, well, maybe there were more people there than just the 11. Yeah, that, that makes me feel a lot better because I don't want to think the disciples were in the part of doubting. I think they were just the worshipers, and then there was this other sort of crowd that attached themselves, and, and they showed up, and they doubted. But, you know, as often as I want to go there and as often as I've tried to go there, the text really doesn't give me a lot of permission to go there. Because Jesus told the two Marys, in somewhat of a cryptic way, go tell my disciples, I'll meet them in Galilee, and they're going to know where that is. Not everybody knew where that was. And I, I think this is somewhat discouraging when you first read it, but encouraging to my heart. Because how often has God leaned into us and said, I've got something to tell you. I've got something that will change your life. I've got, a, I've got a mission for you. And how often have our own hearts, because of the scope of the mission or, or what we've just seen around us or how bewildered we are of God, have doubted. Have doubted that, that we could really follow through with what God wants us to do or, or maybe doubted that God was, was really saying, am I really hearing what he's saying? Because so regularly we say, Lord God, how or whoa or wow or but if or what if. And the, the neat thing about this is Jesus really, he, he received the worship and, and he understood about the doubting and, and it didn't dissuade him in any way of, of commissioning them anyway. 
And so wherever your heart is in this scale of, uh, of really fully being all in for God or, or some timidity or, or fear and trepidation or some, some doubts that linger in your heart, Jesus is leaning into you and speaking to you. And he's going to say to you this morning all over again, maybe, just maybe, you didn't really catch who I was, who I really am in your life. And so he, in this first of his stunning announcements, he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now keep in mind the disciples had been traveling with him uh, over these past three years. And regularly, those who didn't like Jesus' ministry would chirp at him. The religious elite would chirp at him and say, by what authority are you doing this? Or by what authority are you saying this? And, and because he didn't want to expedite his mission beyond its time frame, beyond God's will, and speed up the time of his crucifixion, regularly he wouldn't give anything more than much of a cryptic answer to that. He didn't say much more, in fact, other than the, he had authority to forgive sins, and he had authority to reveal the Father. But now he's standing before them and saying, I'm going to make sure you know what kind of authority I really have. I am over all the heavens and the earth. There is nothing greater than me. There is nothing over me. And, and uh, we ought to note that this, by the way, is a fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. He stands before them. As this fulfillment, Daniel, in seeing prophetically the reality and nature of Messiah Christ, says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. In this sweeping moment, Jesus is declaring himself that Messiah, the Messiah of the prophecy of Daniel. He is the supreme CEO of the universe. In terms of power, authority, and magnitude, Jesus says, I am as high as it gets. Now that ought to put some boldness in your life. The Christ you serve, the one who commissions your life, is the great authority over all things in heaven. There is no spiritual beings or presence that is greater than the Lord Christ. There is nothing on earth, nothing physical, that is greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. In one fell swoop, he put Je Jehovah Witness theology in the recycle bin. If Jesus is the supreme commander of the universe, there is no room left for God unless he is it, unless he is living God. And so he declares himself that. And before he says, before I unpackage my plan, I want you to know what kind of authority I really have. And I am, so you recognize the authority of your supreme commander. I'll never forget the day I got a call from the chairman of the trust company I was working for. He was the boss of the president of the trust company. And you can imagine getting a phone call from the chairman of the trust company personally. And he said to me, because in those days I was leasing office space, he said to me, Rick, listen, 
We don't make money with vacant buildings. And I, I guess I needed some sort of wake-up call because I was just excited that we owned all these buildings. I thought it was pretty impressive that the trust company and I loved managing all these buildings, these vacant buildings. And he said, we don't make money with empty buildings. And I'm giving you the great commission of the trust company. You better lease these buildings really quickly or I'm going to find someone else who understands the nature of our business. Click. And he had the authority to do it. Now, Christ is standing before us this morning and saying, all authority is mine. I'm the CEO of the heavens and the earth. So it was in the context of worship, awed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the reality of that, from Galilee of the Gentiles, while in community, that Jesus launches his mission. And so he relaunches it again today. And I am assuming that you've noticed that this is no bite-sized mission. Uh, this is no easy, manageable, small potatoes thing. He goes on to tell us in verse 19, this is what the mission is. I, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations. I I'm calling this the second of the stunning announcements. The first is that Jesus is CEO. And now I'm going to use a Harvard business uh, Harvard business term and say this is Jesus BHAG. This is his big, hairy, audacious goal for all of his people. That's what this is all about. To engage fully in your mission command to go and make disciples of all the nation. Go, Jesus is saying to them, go and make what I have made of you. That's it. God's plan is to bring the kingdom of God to this earth. And you're doing it. You're it. It's my world, Jesus is saying. He's already made that declaration. And I want you to go and claim it. The 11 disciples were given the commission to make disciples. Now, last week in our best practices, we learned who we are. We are people who love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and body. And we love our neighbor as ourselves. This week, we are discovering what we do. And uh, the plan of God is to make disciples. The plan of Jesus Christ. And making disciples means people totally attached in mind, body, and will to Jesus Christ by helping them go further in what the Holy Spirit is doing in them. Sometimes there's a, um, um, a bit of a, a, a quandary in terms of understanding what is it Jesus is really, really asking us to do. Because, because making disciples, I mean, obviously I can't go out and save people. And, and I can't really go out and change their behavior. So what is this making disciple thing really all about? And I mean, we're going to look at it a little bit more thoroughly in the next few minutes. But, but I want to begin with a couple of definitions. And the de two definitions I want to look at, one is discipleship and the other is discipling. Because I think we're confused at times in, in understanding the difference. Discipleship by definition is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, first of all, convicts us of sin, and the Lord Jesus Christ saves us. And then the Spirit of God transforms our lives as we obey the Word of God. That's discipleship. The Holy Spirit is making us, transforming us, changing us into disciples of Jesus Christ. Discipling, 
which is what people do, one with the other, is taking discipleship, what the Holy Spirit is doing, and encouraging each other, spurring one another along, uh, cheering for each other, holding each other accountable for obeying the Word of God, that God might change us. And so that's the distinction. We are being called by Jesus Christ to gather in community, to live in community, to, to um, um, exercise our relationships in community of seeking to disciple one another by encouraging one another with what God is already doing in your life. That's the distinction. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. He says, I'm commissioning you and you and you and you and you and you. He's commissioning all of us to the making of disciples. Now, how is that going to happen in our lives? What's the process? The plan is making disciples. What's the process? The first thing he says is, go. Therefore, go. He says, I'm, just, I'm standing here before you saying I'm the authority of, of heaven and earth. I'm the, the total authority of that. Now, I'm just going to tell you what the obvious thing is. So go. The first in the process is going. And, and really what he's saying is get moving, get going, get, get with it. The word that he uses here, in fact, to, to, um, which is translated go, is a word that really implies reach, stretch, uh, doing whatever it takes to carry God's offer of salvation, blessings to others. I mean, God is standing here, Christ is standing here saying that that the Lord God wants to bless you. And he wants to offer this free pass of eternal life to the world. And he wants to offer it through you. Now, this is an amazing offer. Get going. Don't stand around here. You remember when, when he, he was ascending into heaven and, and the angel came and said, like, why are you guys standing around, like, gaping into the heavens? Get out there and tell this amazing story. I mean, the, the resurrected Jesus has, has, has appeared before these people. Go and tell. Go and tell what Christ has done for you. Reach out. Uh, Immobilize pe people on mission with a message from the King of Kings. So what that means is finance whatever it takes. Relocate. Release. Reschedule your calendars. Reconfigure your life. Inconvenience yourself. Prepare, equip. Word after word, I can go on. Whatever it is, get going and serve Christ by discipling people. That's what he's saying here. When I was in sales, we always wanted to know, well, what's my sales territory? You know, because you always had a territory, right? This salesman had that territory, this one, and you'd, you'd always vie for a really good, good territory. And, of course, you couldn't go on someone else's territory. So, you know, if you're standing here today asking, well, what is my international sales force territory? Jesus said the scope is this. All the nations. The whole world is your territory. He's given this immense scope. So go, so reach. The king of the universe wants all people back. And when you're going with the gospel, you are always in the will of God. How will they hear it, Paul writes to the Romans, unless someone is sent, unless someone preaches? How will they know? Let's understand something, that creation, 
Creation proclaims the glory of God, and, and everywhere that, that people are, the, the, the nature of who God is is proclaimed. But it's evangelism that tells people that that God has a son. That's the crisis here. That's the issue here. That's what's critical here. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 1, 18 and on, there is no excuse. People are without excuse in knowing that there is a God. He has revealed himself. His creation proclaims sermons every second of the day in every place on this globe. But it is evangelism that tells people who become aware that there is a God, that he has a son, and that son loves them and died for them and buried their sins as far as the east is from the west and that they can have a relationship with that God that will last for all of eternity. That's evangelism, that's discipling, that's go, that's reach. And then he says the first act of discipleship is baptizing. You see, some of the people, he says to these guys, some of the people that you go to and tell about this great offer of salvation, some of them Jesus will cause to own their faith and get baptized. The outward symbol of true conversion and connection and identification with Jesus and his people. Now let's understand again and make something abundantly clear. Baptism doesn't save you. But baptism does separate the serious and the sure from the in uncertain. And so those who are baptized, it says, uh, because they confess with their mouth that Jesus is truly Lord. The Apostle Paul in that same uh, letter to the Romans said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. saved. So where does this confession from my mouth come from? Regularly, it's the proclamation of the testimony of baptism. I can't explain all that's being done, and I can't explain all that Jesus has done for me, but one thing I do know, I once was blind and now I see. I once couldn't hear the things of God, but now I can hear. I once didn't want to live the things of God, but now I want to live the things of God. I once didn't want to obey the living God, but now I can't wait to obey Him. I once had no appetite for His Word, but now I have an appetite for His Word. I once was dead, and now I'm alive. That's what baptism is. It's a, a proclamation. It's a confession of faith. And you are baptized, it says here, into the name of the, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Into the name singular. And this is an accounting term, into the name. It's to the account of. We are actually being placed under new management. We are put into a new company. We are turning our back on evil that once drew us, and we are turning full force in the direction of God and His righteousness. That's what this is all about. It's a grand ceremony, a formal ceremony that declares who you really are. And it is, launches you into a life of, dis, of obedience without which you can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's a ceremonial entrance into God's family. It's an ordination into the priesthood of believers. 1 Peter 2, uh, 9, verse 9. As, as one of the early church fathers said, Basil of Caesarea, as we have been baptized, so we believe. 
And make no mistake about it, you are baptized into the name of the Father and into the name of the Son and into the name of the Holy Spirit. Fully, all three, the personhood of God. One God, three persons. There is only one baptism, the baptism into God, into the Father, into the Son, into the Holy Spirit. I never ever use the term water baptism in distinction from another baptism. There is only one baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's when you, receive the, this, when you receive salvation, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. This ceremony seals what God has done in your life. And so uh, he says, going and baptizing, then finally teaching. Teaching is not just preaching or converting or winning. It's schooling people in the things of God. Schooling those baptized to put into practice everything Jesus has made known it's a long, patient, lifetime journey from the moment of salvation until the moment that Jesus Christ calls us home. We are being discipled. We are being taught. We are schooling each other. It's taking someone as an apprentice at the very beginning of their salvation and turning them into a journeyman who's obeying the Lord Jesus Christ with all of their hearts, fully attached to him, fully devoted to him, fully declaring that he is the sole Lord and master of their lives. Because God's mandate to us is to, is to present every man and woman complete in Christ. And so this is going to be a revolution of the heart that takes time, a slow revolution of the heart as God increasingly becomes more and more Lord of every area of your life. And we cheer for each other. We encourage each other. We spur one another on to move that process forward in our lives. It's done in community. We are calling each other to absolute commitment, mind, body, and soul to Jesus. And blessed is the church that has a vision for this. Blessed is the church where the people of God understand their responsibilities one with the other. Blessed is the church that understands we are each other's keeper and we are to be accountable to one another. Blessed is the church that understands that it is right and appropriate and God-honoring to meddle in each other's lives. Blessed is the church that cares enough about each other that they call each other aside and say, hey, listen, there's this thing in your character, there's this thing in your life, there's this moment last week that just didn't work for Christ. And can I tell you that I love you and I care about you. And if you continue in this journey, this is going to take you away from the heart of the Lord. Blessed is a church that has people, brothers and sisters who love each other that much that we care about completing the process that Jesus is at work in in our lives. Jesus has called us to this. All authority in heaven and earth. He stands before us this morning and says, this is what I've called you to. And this is what I will bless. You are a blessed person if someone has taken you out to lunch one day and said, listen, what you did there, what you did here, it just didn't, it just didn't make the Lord Jesus Christ look good. And it's a blind spot in your life, maybe. I care about you. Christ cares about you. Blessed are people who realize that we are in a finishing school together. And God has given us this commission 
and we have his authority to carry it through. And so he makes his final stunning announcement. And he says, when you're engaged in all of this, I am with you. You know, when Matthew announced in his gospel the incarnation of the living God, and they said he would call him Emmanuel, God with us. He bookends, he brackets his great commission with his great authority and divinity. He is Lord over all, and he is Emmanuel, God who will never leave us or forsake us. This is a powerful, powerful, emboldening reality for us. When you are on Jesus' mission, not our mission about Jesus, when you are on Jesus' mission, you have all the backing of his power and all the presence of his amazing power and divinity with you always. How big is this thing? What is this? It's the biggest enterprise ever. Let me give you the five alls. All authority, all of God, all nations, all things, all the days. See, some people say, I think this commission was just for those disciples. I don't think it was for me. Well, let me ask you a question. Are the disciples still alive today? I know, just humor me. No, Pastor Rick. (laughs) Is the calendar, has the time come to an end? No, Pastor Rick. So this commission then is all authority, all of the Godhead, to all nations, all the things of Jesus, all the days until God shuts down the calendar. It's our commission. It's given to us. Our amazing God, the Father God, longs to pour out his salvation blessings on people because of the cross work of Jesus through the empowering change agency of the Holy Spirit. And so with our Facebook theme in the PowerPoint, I say that God's people should press like and share a lot and comment a lot and often about the great things of God. That's who we are. Our Father and our God, I pray that you would bless this, your word, this, your commission on us afresh. May we be renewed in our passion, I pray for the Lord and his mission for Jesus' sake. Amen. Into this horrible, thankless, rebellious world, God's love in Christ Jesus came to live among us. To carry our sins to the cross and there bury them forever. And have victory over death so that death is dead. And this God over all the universe offers his love and forgiveness and purposefulness to people's lives and a relationship forever with him. And the resurrected Jesus stood before his disciples and said, go tell people that. And I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, that's our practice. That's what we're called to do.
But I want you to know that that invitation is not just a picture painted this morning, but a reality. Jesus Christ this morning invites you. You who have never responded, never received Christ to come to him. I'm going to pray, and after the service, our pastors will be here at the front. And if, if God has reached your heart this morning, and you want to respond and become a disciple of Jesus Christ, then we'd love to talk to you and pray with you today. Our Father and our God, thank you so much. Thank you for entrusting this great mission on the basis of all authority and knowing you will accompany us in every gospel adventure, oh God. We praise you and recommit ourselves to best practices, to live and talk Jesus everywhere, all the time, for Jesus' sake. Amen.